One of the reasons we have trouble understanding certain parts of the Bible is we have forgotten that the Bible is at root a story. Sometimes we treat the Bible as though it's just a collection of interesting statements or, you know, a random assortment of, of individual vignettes, little stories, a story about this guy, a story about that guy. We don't think about the, sto- uh, the Bible as one overarching story, but we should. The Bible is the true story of God's work in the world. And it is only when we understand the Bible that way, as the true story of God's work in the world, that we can begin to understand why Abraham matters so much to Paul and why Abraham should matter to us. We have been working our way through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings, and we are in chapter 4, and so I'll go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to Romans 4 and verse 13. And uh, we have noticed that Abraham is kind of a big deal for Paul. Abraham has spent, or Paul has spent quite a bit of time talking here about uh, why Abraham matters, how Abraham was made right with God, what that means for us, and how we are made right with God. You see the same thing in the book of Galatians. Paul goes on and on, really for a couple of chapters, about the significance of Abraham for Christians today. And why is Paul convinced that Abraham is so important. This morning, we are going to see that Paul says that everybody who believes like Abraham believes, right? Abraham looking forward to the promises of Jesus, we looking back to the death and resurrection of Jesus, everybody who believes like Abraham believes inherits the blessings that were promised to Abraham. Now, why is that a big deal? Why should we care about that? I mean, I could imagine somebody saying, look, as long as I have my sins forgiven and I get to go to heaven, as long as I'm saved by faith like Abraham was, why should I worry about the promises? Why should I worry about the blessings? Why should I worry about having this inheritance that Abraham had as well? Well, if we understood the story of the Bible, we wouldn't have to ask that question. Because if we understood the way the story of the Bible works, we would know that it it is of vital importance for us to be connected to Abraham and for us to share the promises that were given to Abraham. Now, what do I mean by that? How does that work? Well, think about the book of Genesis. We all know how Genesis starts, right? Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the first man and the first woman. And we know how quickly it goes wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They eat from the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. God removes them from the garden. They have taken upon themselves the sentence of death because God said, if you, in the day that you eat of that tree, you're surely going to die. And then what follows after Adam and Eve sin? Death upon death upon death, judgment, sin, corruption, violence. The next several chapters of Genesis, though there are some bright spots like Enoch who walked with God and Noah and his family were uh, taken into the ark and delivered from the flood, but most of what you see in Genesis 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 is a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of death, and a whole lot of judgment. 
And that's not the way God had set things up to be. Right? He had created Adam and Eve to live in His presence in a place of blessing in uh, the garden paradise that we call Eden. That has gone horribly wrong. How is God going to fix it? He calls a man from Ur in the Chaldees named Abram. And he makes a series of promises to him. And he tells him that through him, he is going to bless all the world. In the beginning, God blessed Adam and Eve. And, and then when they sinned, his curse and judgment came upon the world. And now God is saying to Abraham, through you, I am going to once again bring blessing upon all the earth. So you see, in the story of how the Bible works, how God is working in the world, God is saying that it's through Abraham and his family that I'm going to restore the blessings that were lost in Eden. So if you want to be a part of how God is going to bless people, how God is going to bless the world, how God is going to restore what was lost in the beginning through sin, you need to be connected to Abraham. That's why Paul thinks this is so important. That's why he wants us to realize the importance of Abraham. That's why he's spending so much time talking about who gets the inheritance, who gets the blessings, who gets the promises that were given to Abraham. So let's, knowing all that, let's look at Genesis, or excuse me, at Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 13 to 17. Genesis 4, verses 13, excuse me, I'm going to say that again. Romans 4, verses 13 to 17. Here's what Paul says. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So here's what Paul is saying, right? Right out of the gate, verse 13, he's talking to us about the promises God made to Abraham, right? For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring. Now, what did God promise Abraham? He promised him three things. He promised him the land of Canaan. Right? We all know about that. We call that the promised land. He promised him numerous offspring, right? Children as numerous as the stars in the heaven, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And he promised Abraham that he would bless him, and that he would bless those who blessed him, and that he would bless all the families of the earth through him. Right? So those are the three promises that God made to Abraham, the three big ones. Right? And Paul says uh, here that the promise to Abraham and his offspring 
And then he mentions a particular promise, that he would be heir of the world. Now Paul says that like it's no big deal, but did you know that Abraham was promised to be heir of the world? I mean, we knew he was promised the land of Canaan, right? Everybody knows that, but that's, I mean, if you looked at a map, that's a very small piece of the world. What does Paul mean when he says that Abraham is the heir of the world? And by the way, this is important because in a minute he's going to tell you that if you believe like Abraham, then you also are an heir of the world. Okay, so we need to know if this promise is real, because if it's real, it apparently belongs to us. Where did God promise Abraham that he would be the heir of the world? Well, there's not a, there's not a, a single verse you can go to where it says that God promised Abraham the whole world. He promised him Canaan, he promised him offspring, he promised him blessing, but nowhere is there just a plain statement in the Old Testament, Abraham, you're going to inherit the entire world. It's all going to belong to you. But Paul expects us to be nodding our head when he says, hey, you remember, right, that God promised Abraham that he's going to be heir of the whole world? So what did we miss? What did Paul see that we have not seen that we ought to have seen? Well, probably a lot of things, right? But let's think about how this promise works. Maybe when God promised Abraham the land of Canaan, maybe he was promising Abraham all of the world that was known to him at that time. Right? Because in Genesis 15, where God is making a covenant with Abraham, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. And the Euphrates River runs through modern-day Iran. That's bigger than the land of Canaan, right? He's promising Abraham everything from the Nile, which is the heart of Egypt, to the Euphrates, which is in the middle of Iran, and in between that is Jordan and Syria and all the rest. That's a, that's a lot of land that God is promising Abraham. So maybe he just means... He promised Abraham pretty much all the world that he knew about at the time, and so we can sort of extend that out and say it's the whole world. But that's not terribly persuasive. It could be, but, you know, maybe, maybe not. There are lots of ways we can sort of get here, and I could give you a list, but let me give you the best explanation I've found of how Paul can say so nonchalantly that Abraham was promised to be heir of the world. Here's, here's how one Bible teacher puts it. He says, The idea that Abraham and his offspring would become heirs of the world is not foreign to the Old Testament. It follows from merging together all three elements of the promise. So in other words, you're promised a big piece of land. You're promised children so numerous you can't possibly count them. And you're promised to be uh, that, that uh, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And later in Genesis 17, you promise that multiple nations and kings are going to come from you. So when you put all that together and sort of you know, run that through fast forward, what's that going to look like? If you have children as numerous as the sand on the seashore, are they going to be able to fit between the Nile and the Euphrates? No, eventually you're going to need more land even than that. If you're the father of a multitude of nations, like God said he would be in Genesis 17, if you're the father of all these nations, then all these nations inhabit the world, then 
don't you sort of own the world? Don't you get to inherit the world? So Paul's not sort of shooting from the hip. He's not just randomly uh, extending the promises we're familiar with. He's just teasing out what God said to Abraham. Ultimately, what this means is that Abraham is going to be the heir of the world. Now, if I told you that you were going to inherit, or at least you had a chance of inheriting, several million dollars, I would have your attention, right? If that, you know, I got a letter in the mail, I got a lawyer, you know, he says, you stand to inherit several million dollars. Got, got your attention, right? Paul is saying, you have a chance, right? You stand in line to inherit the world. So he has our attention, right? Ought to have our attention. How does this work? How does Abraham inherit the world? How do we inherit the world? How does this take place? And by the way, if you think, I've been reading the Bible for a long time. I've never seen this promise about inheriting the world. I've never thought about this, inheriting the world. Where, where does this come from? Is this anywhere else? It is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is kind of tucked away in a spot you might not expect. At the end of 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is he's trying to tell the church there to quit squabbling about who their favorite preacher is. Right? Well, I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos, etc. He says, get over all that. And here's why. He says, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Where did he get that? In part, he got it from the promises to Abraham. So you stand, if you're a believer in Christ, you stand to inherit all of the world. How does that work? Look again at verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring, that's you if you belong to Jesus. He's just said in verses 11 and 12 that the, Abraham is the father of all the Gentiles who believe and all the Jews who believe. Right? So if you're a believer in Jesus, you're Abraham's offspring. He's your father. So the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, it was not only the Jews who tried to keep the law who stand to inherit this promise. That's not how God gave it to Abraham. That's not how this promise works. It did not come to Abraham through the law. God did not say... Abraham, if you'll keep the Ten Commandments, if you'll offer the right sacrifices, if you'll do this and you'll not do that, then I will make you the heir of the world. He didn't say that. He called him out of the pagan land of the Babylonians and said, you come go where I go, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless those who bless you, I'm going I'm to give you the world. Hadn't done a thing. Hadn't done a thing. God just promised it to him. Graciously, no conditions. It didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's talking about Genesis 15, 6, right? Where God, or Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
He didn't work to be counted righteous. He didn't earn his righteousness. God promised him something. Abraham believed it. And because he believed it, God counted him as righteous. God said, you're righteous in my eyes. You're not righteous. right? You're a sinner. But I count you righteous because you trust me. Paul says that's how the promise that Abraham would inherit the world. That's how that, that was given to Abraham. It was not by the law. It was by faith. And then he explains more in verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So the Jews, we would imagine, the Jews thought that the people who were going to inherit the promises to Abraham were the Jews. The people who kept the law, or at least tried to. Right? We're offspring of Abraham. We're, we're, we can trace our family tree back to Abraham. Right? We ought to be the ones who get the promises that God made to Abraham. We ought to be his heirs. But Paul says, if the inheritance is determined by who keeps the law, guess what? It's no longer a promise. And it's no longer given on the basis of faith. But that's exactly how God gave it to Abraham. It was a promise given by faith. A promise implies grace here. God just said, I will give it to you. You don't have to do anything. I'm just going to give it to you. That's how he gave it to Abraham. Abraham received it by faith. God gave it by grace. But if you're saying that the heirs are the people who keep the law, then that ruins all of that. Now it's about works. Now it's about obedience. Plus, it just isn't going to work. Because look at verse 15. The reason why it's not the adherents of the law, who are the heirs, is verse 15. For because the law brings wrath. Now, Paul's already been over this, right? Who keeps the law? Nobody. Who's able to keep the law? Nobody. The Jews have the law. Can they keep it? No. If the Gentiles had been given the law, would they have been able to keep it? No. The whole point of the law, Paul has already said, the whole point of the law is to show us our transgression, is to show us our sin, is to show us how far we fall short of God's standard so that we will throw up our hands and say, we need mercy. We need grace. I can't earn any of this. I I can't merit it. I can't deserve it. I'm not going to get it unless you give it graciously. That's the only way I'm going to receive your salvation. That's the only way I'm going to receive your promises. The only way I'm going to receive your blessings is if you give them by grace. So Paul's saying, all of you who think that these promises, these blessings are going to come to people who have proved they deserve it by keeping the law, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. The Jews seem to think Right? That God operated primarily by law. And a lot of us think that way too. Don't we? A lot of the time. We think that God is only going to bless us if we've done something to deserve it. If I haven't read my Bible today. Haven't been to church the last week or so. Haven't done this. Haven't done that. My confidence that God is for me starts to waver. Why? Because I think that his blessings, his favor, depend upon what I do. I mean, isn't that how we think a lot of the time? What Paul is saying is, 
God doesn't work that way. Nobody deserves it. Nobody earns it. Nobody merits it. Remember what God said to Moses when Moses wanted to see God's glory. And God said, I will come and I will stand by where you are and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. The first thing God said to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God, what do we expect? Just, angry, wrathful. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And he says, who will by no means clear the guilty, right? He is just, he is holy, not minimizing that, just saying God knows nobody can live up to that. And so when God seeks to bless his people, when God seeks to give good gifts to his children, he does not do it on the basis of law, because if he did, nobody would ever get it, because nobody would ever deserve it. So Paul says, This great promise given to Abraham that he would inherit the world. He didn't give that to Abraham by the law. He didn't give that to Abraham on the basis of works. He gave that to Abraham by grace in response to his faith. And that's how he gives it to Abraham's offspring as well, to his children. He gives it to them by grace, by a promise in response to faith and not by works. Look at verse 16. This is why this matters. He says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Right. So he says, the reason why this promise has to come in response to faith is because if it's By faith, then it can be by grace. If it's by works, works ruins grace. We talked about that earlier in chapter 4. If you work for something, it's not grace when you give it. When you get it, it's a debt being paid when you get it. When you go to work, you earn a paycheck, they give it to you, that's not grace. That's a debt they owe. They're paying you what they owe you. When God gives something He doesn't have to give you, that you haven't earned, that you don't deserve, that's grace. So when you don't earn it by faith or by works, you just believe, and He gives it to you by faith, that's grace. And when God gives things to us by grace, guess what? He gets the glory. That's the way He likes to work. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. Because He doesn't have to do that. So that's why it depends on faith, He says, in order that the promise may rest on grace. And here's the other important piece and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Why does it need to be by faith in order for it to be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring? Two reasons. One, if God promised to give these blessings to Abraham's offspring, but his offspring had to keep the law in order to get these blessings... Would those blessings go to all of Abraham's offspring? Could we be sure of that? Could God promise that? No, because how many of them are going to keep the law? None of them, right? I mean, even if we thought maybe a handful could, we know they're not all going to. How can God promise Abraham that all of his offspring are going to inherit these promises? This way, here's the second part. 
Abraham's children, he's just said in verse 11 and 12, Abraham's children are those who believe like Abraham did. Remember when Jesus said in John chapter 8 to a bunch of the religious leaders, you're not actually children of Abraham, you think you are? And they're like, what are you talking about? We're not children of Abraham. Of course we're children of Abraham. Jesus says, you're not children of Abraham. If you were children of Abraham, you'd be doing what Abraham did, which is what? Believe God. But instead what you're trying to do is you're trying to kill me, someone who, tried to, who is telling you the truth from God. So guess, guess who you are? You're offspring of the devil, because that's the kind of stuff that Satan does. So who are the offspring of Abraham? The people who believe like Abraham believed. You're not offspring of Abraham just because you happen to be able to trace your family tree back to him. The real offspring of Abraham are those who believe like Abraham believed, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. And if it's those who believe, then guess what? All of his offspring can be guaranteed the promises. Because all the promise needs is faith. The promise is given to all who believe. All the offspring are those who believe. He can guarantee it to all of his offspring. All the descendants of Abraham. Remember, um, some of you, maybe like me, used to sing that song um, in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had fathers. Do you ever wonder why you sang that song, right? Father Abraham, Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Why does that, why are we singing that song? Right? We're, not, we're not Jewish, most of us. Why are we saying that we're children of Abraham and that that's a reason to praise the Lord? Because God has promised to bless the world through the family of Abraham. And if we're not included in the family of Abraham, we're not included in the blessings. But if we believe like Abraham believes, then Paul says we are included in the family of Abraham. And if we're included in the family of Abraham, we're included in the blessings of Abraham. And if we're including in the, included in the blessings of Abraham, then we get to share in all the good things that God has been promising and preparing us for from the beginning. All the things that He will bring to fulfillment in the new creation, in the new heavens, in the new earth. All these things that He has secured for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, who, by the way, is the ultimate offspring of Abraham. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. These promises ultimately come to the seed of Abraham. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. So we share in these blessings because we're connected to Christ by faith. And being connected to Christ by faith means that we're included in Abraham's family because everybody who believes is a part of Abraham's family. And this is what Paul is talking about at the end of verse 16. That these promises are not only to the adherents of the law. By that I think he means the Jew who believes and keeps the law, just like in verse 12. And also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. I think there he means the Gentile who doesn't have the law but does believe, just like in verse 11. About Abraham, shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. How did God make Abraham the father of many nations? Not just through Isaac and Ishmael and all of his children that way, but also through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus who, Revelation says, shed his blood 
to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation so that there will be gathered around the throne a multitude of people from every nation, every family of the earth, receiving the blessings promised to Abraham, purchased by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and now showered upon all of his people in the new creation. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're not a child of Abraham, God invites you to come. God says, if you'll turn to me, if you'll turn away from your sin, if you'll trust me like Abraham did, you don't have to earn this thing. You don't have to do anything. It's by faith that you receive my promises. You try to work for it, you try to earn it, you're never going to get there. But if you will believe that my son paid everything necessary, did everything necessary so that you can share in these promises, then they'll be yours. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a child of Abraham, that means all these promises are yours. So what do, you, what do we have to worry about? What do we have to fight over? What do we have to, to scramble for? Right? What do we have to be anxious about? Do we really think that God is going to give us the world as our inheritance and then leave us hanging on something important? Is he, is he going to abandon us in our time of need when he's promised to give us everything we could possibly want and more? Of course not. We are heirs of the world. We stand to inherit all that God has. Just as Paul says in Romans 8, right? That we are co-heirs with Christ. If it belongs to Jesus and you belong to Jesus, it belongs to you. That's better news than we could ever imagine, ever have hoped for. But it's what God calls us to believe.